tonight's lesson is on comparisons. How many of you have troubles with the area of comparison? How much trouble does comparison give you in life? How much of your time do you spend making comparisons and how does it work for you? doing comparison. So we're going to do a little bit of study on this in the scripture. And I want you to start out with a foundational verse. This one verse will help you tremendously with the comparisons we're going to be bringing up tonight. But Genesis 1 31, God looked at everything he had done and he just said, it is good. Everything God had made, he passed a judgment on it and he said, it is good. So the foundation of comparisons for me is the understanding that what God made is good. So I would say in your biblical theology or study in the Bible or just understanding different principles in the Bible to know that what God made is good. If God made it, you can get into some dicey waters if you start doing something different with it than what he meant for it. So we're just going to have the premise that what God made is good. So he looked over everything that he had made and he said, it is good. So it has value in it. Now, I'm going to say this. In some ways, he put himself into it. He put himself into it to some extent. Like it's unique how... He passed it along. He looked at you through history. His eyes saw you and he said about you, good. It's powerful to think about, you know, because it could have just said God made everything and nothing said, but he looked at what he did and he said, good. Do some of you workers who do construction, you look at what you do and say, good, (laughs) that I did good. Anyway, that to me is so foundational for comparisons. I don't know if anybody else would start their thoughts there, but I know that's helped me a lot and it's helped me untangle some things. In fact, I had some theology wrong because I would try to make some things have a rank to them in the Bible. And we're not going to go into that tonight, but we're going to go into what I think most people have trouble with. And it's in the area of self-comparisons. Do you constantly compare yourself to others? There was a lady, and she helped Mother and I understand this concept more than anyone else. And she got up, and she was a speaker with my mom, and she started giving her talk. And, wow, this lady, she lived the life. She was in India. She was a missionary. She had a lot of great things to say. You wouldn't believe it. I was impressed with the caliber of woman it was that she just really brought a lot to the table. In fact, she's the one that on a napkin, she and I discussed the one plus one ideal that I use in evangelism, just from something she said. So she's up there and she was speaking. She said, I always make comparisons in my mind and I always come out on the short end of the deal. She said, it reminds you of the game of drawing toothpicks and you either draw the long toothpick or the short toothpick. And she said, I always draw the short toothpick. And, you know, there's other people different than her. And these people, they always make themselves draw the long toothpick. They always come out ahead when they make a comparison. That's the reason they're making comparisons. So it's a deep focus on self. So we can move comparisons for the most part into the area of soulishness into the area of self, that you're making a lot of comparisons in the area of what God created. This is her line that she said. I was shocked at this line. She said, I compare the worst part of me and I compare it to the best part of her. Interesting comparisons. Do you have this struggle? 
Is this your thinking? This is her thought life. She's letting us into it. And then when she's through speaking and she's given a tremendous speech, she introduces mother and says, here is Peggy Joyce. And she is known on TV. She is known all over the world. Her books have traveled. I am nothing compared to her and tore it apart. My mom sat there humiliated. I mean, the lady was laying it on. But with every sentence she said about mother, she said a negative one about herself. It was completely comparisons. Now, she has just got up and spoke these words that I thought were so great. Can you believe I actually took notes on the woman? And when she did that to mother, it separated mother from the audience. I'd never seen anything like it. She made it be like, I'm one of y'all. But this woman, she's high and mighty. You couldn't touch her. She's above everyone else. And if you know mom, mom doesn't have any pretensions. She'll go wash the dishes of the people she's staying with. I mean, mother is down to earth. And so to see mom have that happen to her, I froze. I didn't know what to do. I was kind of the coach behind the scenes always for mom during those days. And I told mom, she just divided you from your audience. And it was horrible. There was nothing mom could do. She was stuck. And so with the little bit of break we had, mother was writing down things that made the lady better than herself. So mother was doing writing down all different things, and she was going to go up, you know, try to level the playing field. I mean, what this lady had done had basically wrecked mom's next talk. And so as mom was trying to get me to help think of what to say, I told her, no, throw the list away. Stand up there and get into the word and don't get into soulish comparisons. Don't let it do it to you. It's a trap. It's bait. It is trying to draw you into her arena of spiritual warfare inside of her. Comparisons, and when people put you into them, they are baiting a trap for you. And if you're doing it to other people, you're the one setting the trap. I have never seen it as clear as that. Mom got up there. She laid down a great teaching, and everything was okay. The lady us. We had a great time, great fellowship afterwards, but it was her battle, not ours. And because of that, it's what's caused me a lot of times to just get up, not tell a few jokes, not warm the audience up with y'all, but just get straight into the word. So I'm saying that you have to feel the moment, but a lot of it is you want to get right into the word, right into the spirit, Draw people in. What unites us and why you're here is not a soulish reason. The reason you're here is because you're searching for truth. You're wanting to go deeper with God. But at that moment, I started writing everything I could find in the Bible on comparisons. I started taking notes when I'd read a scripture. So with that in mind, I want you to really look at comparisons and what you think you're doing and what you're actually doing by comparing yourself to other people. Let me say it this way. Comparison people have low self-esteem even when stressing their own importance. Let me say it again. Comparison people have pride even when they're stressing their inadequacies and their lack of worth. That's saying it again because both are true low self-esteem when you're stressing it you're stressing your own importance and when you're up and you're stressing the pride then you're stressing your own inadequacies and your lack of worth you are in the battlefield or you're in the arena of comparing person to person 
And I'm going to tell you this, you're doing something God dares not do. It's not how he does it. So in John 21, 21, we're going to begin with comparisons among people. Now, this one, you got to laugh at this. Peter has not had such a good finale with Jesus. I mean, the finale of what had gone down with Jesus, Peter wasn't winning the award for having handled it the best. He wasn't the most supportive of the disciples. He wasn't the one most faith-filled. Peter was working to get off of the rock bottom. Peter had made a mess right there at the end. So when you're studying this particular chapter in the Bible, this is not Peter's finest moments. He and Jesus had to work a few things out. They had to get some things right with each other. So Jesus has told Peter, Peter, look, I'm going to be using you. In fact, I'm going to use you and you're going to be so faithful and so strong that you're going to sign your testimony in your own blood. Peter, you're going to die a martyr's death. Well, Peter, he's still not exactly sanctified yet. He looks up and he sees John. And when he sees John, he says, what about that man? I mean, if you're going to say that's going to happen to me, what's going to happen to him? Jesus says to him, Peter, why don't you take care of Peter? And that's what I was going to say with you. Sometimes you do have to stay in your own lane. You got to take care of yourself. Because a lot of times you're looking at, well, what about them? And we waste a lot of time in this comparison trap, in this game. You know, I remember with grade school kids, it's all about comparisons then. I mean, they compare constantly. But I was a little bit shocked when I found it so evident among college age. I remember one one child, um, I had to work with her in a situation of, you know, trying to correct her and help her for her own good. And And she looked at me, and I thought she was going to say something profound because I had really landed my points with her, and I really thought that God would work on her heart. I'd really done it in such a way that I was really pleased because I thought if I'd said that to me or if I'd had that said to me, it would really have ministered to me. And so when she opened her mouth, I was really expecting her to just understand what I'd said and, and really be appreciative. And she looked at me and she said, why do I always get in trouble? What about Haley? (laughs) Haley never gets into trouble. And I looked at her there and I thought, Peter. I mean, it reminded me exactly of Peter here where he's looking at it and he has been on the rock bottom. I mean, he has been dragging the bottom of the lake and he still wants to compare himself to John. I don't know how he thought he had the room to make that kind of comparison after what he's done, but Peter still saw it that way. So does John have to go there too? And that's what Jesus did is he stopped the comparison. And he said, what is it to you? What is it to you? If I have a different plan for John, what is it to you? You be concerned with you. And so maybe a good word to us from the Lord is you be concerned with your own race. You be concerned with what God's doing in your life. If that's the part of staying in your lane, it would be like this. If you're trying to take people out, then you have a problem with significance. If you got to get them to feel lower to you so that you feel good about yourself, it's a serious problem. It's a malfunction in who you are as a human being. It is worse in ministry. When you wrap that in spiritual clothing and you tell yourself, I have to put them down in order to feel good about who I am with the Lord, 
you've got a serious problem with why you do what you do. Significance, you're dealing with significance and not purpose if you do that direction. I'll tell you where I observe this the most. It's really strange. It's in our hen house and it's with our roosters. I've never seen it like it is with roosters. Somehow we've been blessed to have about a 50-50 crop. And if any of you know chickens, that is the worst thing when you have about as many roosters as you do hens because the poor hens, their days are not happy. But what's interesting about watching the roosters is they have established a pecking order. And in my eyes, I can't tell any difference. I mean, as far as size and strength and even what I'd call anger in the rooster. But that rooster, when the first one, the king walks by, he bows down. I mean, he'll duck his head and he'll completely sit on the ground. I mean, one of them acted like he was a hen. And I watched him the other day run from him as hard as he could, run up the ramp, go sit where they lay eggs. I mean, he was hoping he would be seen among the females. (laughs) Pecking orders. (laughs) Yeah, so when you're in this, if you have a problem in this area, I'm going to send you out to my hen house. And I'm going to let you watch the roosters, because that's the behavior of something that has a brain about the size of a a walnut. (laughs) But we find it in people, but worst, we find it among Christians and in ministry. Comparisons. You know, you got to be really careful with comparisons. I'm not going to put a bad stamp on them and say they're completely wrong because we'll have a different understanding. But for tonight, the purpose is be careful in how you use them because a lot of times you can use them to make the wrong point. The idea behind comparisons is you have to have the right results. And when it's in a system where you're using it to lift yourself up or evaluate yourself, or feel better, or if you express your own disparging of yourself in order to try to feel better, and I don't know what you're doing, if it's some kind of a spiritual pride or false humility, but there's something deeply wrong with the way I see comparisons used with most people. So let's look into this verse in 2 Corinthians 10, 12. Paul seemed to have trouble with it in the church in Corinth. Now, what did Corinth not have wrong with it? I mean, the church in Corinth was always having unique problems, which gave us a lot of extra scriptures. But in 2 Corinthians 10, 12, there's a great sentence here, and it says, we dare not compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. So when there's people in the business of patting themselves on the back, commending themselves, Paul says, we dare not do it. And so that would be good words for us. Dare not do this. When they measured themselves by themselves and compared themselves with themselves, they are not wise. And so a lot of people make their judgment or their assessment on themselves by only looking at themselves. Like some people think, I have a lot to offer or my intelligence is so smart. A lot of people use themselves as a standard of like, well, my intentions are good. Like, look where I came from. Like, I'm shocked I passed that test. And it might be the only test out of 10 they pass, but they are very much impressed with themselves. And so Paul addresses it here. And he says that we should not do it. We dare not do it because it will make us unwise to do it. So ranking ourselves a rank. You know, what's shocking, like we talked about the other day, if you could hear everybody's thoughts and uh, occasionally they just flipped on where 
what they were thinking that they think is private was where everyone could hear it, it would be an interesting world. I mean, we're getting close to that kind of technology when they can look at something in an airplane and fire a missile with their thoughts. I mean, I don't know where military intelligence is, but um, I may get my, uh, I'm not going to call it a wish, I may get my assessment of this at some point. But if that happened to you, you need to get a handle on this because some, this goes on inside of them every single day. That every day they compare themselves they make comparisons all day long. And you're gonna be like the lady and you're gonna say, I'm either getting the long toothpick or the short toothpick. You know, we had a joke once about uh, women, whether they dress for men or not. And this is not a one of our gender problems. This is just how women are and they're dressing. We were laughing because when they get on the bus, no one checks out another woman like another woman. <laughs> no one checks out a woman. I mean, you're looking them over like, Oh, I got better than they got. I mean, women are constantly sizing the other ones up. People laugh at men looking at women. Women looking at women far worse. <laughs> this almost even goes against their grain. It's the reason they look at magazines. Airbrushing ruined everything. So it's a comparison or a ranking. It's the ranking system that we get, and we give people assessments of either 0 to 10. And we're ranking where they fit. So comparing yourself to other people. Now I'm going to give you another verse, and it's in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 12. And I want you to tie in this verse too. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. And you can just let yourself imagine what must be happening in the church at this point. And it says, some say, I'm of, of Apollos. Some say, I'm of Peter. Some say, I'm of Paul. And then some are spiritual and say, I'm of Christ. Now, it's a shame that there's such a difference between Christ and the other three. <laughs> but some say, I'm of Apollos. So the problem with comparisons in ministry, the problems with having, you know, this is my favorite speaker, it limits you to only one that God can speak to you from. And so Paul addresses this, and he says, who then is Paul? Who then is Apollos? Aren't they ministers by whom you believed? You know, he said, I planted and Apollos watered. So you see the difference in their ministries. But he said, it's God who causes the growth. And if it works the way it's supposed to, probably when one gets up, you always say, that's my favorite. And then the next one gets up, and then uh, you're like, oh, I really liked what they said. Because we get tickled when we do out-of-town conferences. Whoever's the speaker, that's the one they like the most. And if someone else speaks, then they like that one. I'll tell you one of my favorite things that I've seen happen of this, you know, some of Apollos, some of Peter, is a lot of times people will come to me, and I mean I have poured my lifeblood into the Bible study. I have preached it. And it'll be a night, I think, Wow, that one soared. Thank you, Lord. And you'll come to me and you'll have the sweetest look on your face. And you'll tell me the thing that meant the most to me is, and you'll quote it. And I'll look at you and I say, thank you. But I'm getting tickled because I didn't say it. John did. <laughs> They'll go, wow, what you told me changed my life. And I always thought, John said that. And I mean, eight hours, and he's up here, and he's making notes in his phone. He gets up here, and it's like, 
I just hear the cha-ching in heaven, you know, that he actually landed the thing that out of all the entire Bible study and all the scriptures are like, that really meant so much to me. And I go, me too. And they think I'm a little arrogant. (laughs) So basically what Paul is writing here is all these men have the spirit of the Lord on them. Now, he is not gracious nor kind like this with people that he doesn't trust in ministry. I mean, Paul will rip them a new one. This is not talking about those that are off or leading people astray or, you know, getting people into deception. But he's talking about people that really know the Lord. And so it gives you strength when you hear it different ways. Like when he gets up here, it actually, I've watched what John does. I'll have a lesson and I'll listen to what he does. And when he closes for me, he picks up on the places I missed. He picks up on sometimes just the the way to say it a different way. Like he'll pick up on the gap I made. And I'll be like, John, we're going to have to include that in the final draft. I mean, what he'll do is he'll strengthen it. And that's what it's made to be when we're a body, that we strengthen one another. So in this... People always comparing the men of God or ranking them or dissecting them or dividing them. It makes a comparison game go on that I don't think the Lord intended. So comparing, you know, carnality, that carnality of the mind is what makes you want to rank one and make one lesser than the others. And if you'll prepare your heart, the Lord will speak to you anytime the word's given. You know, Jesus had this going on. And if this is not the truth, theologically, but in Mark 2, 9 through 10, Jesus said, okay, you don't think I have the power to forgive sins? He said, you think that's uh, something that I can't do? He said, uh, let me ask you a question. Which is easier for me to heal this guy right here that's crippled or to forgive him of his sins? Jesus didn't make healing hard. In fact, what he did with healing, he said, um, which is easier to prove to you I can forgive sins. I'll heal this guy. Jesus' answer was, I can do both. You know, what's funny, our theology has switched over the years. We now believe he can forgive sins, but we don't think he can heal. (laughs) It switched hands. But Jesus, in his unique way, is telling you, why are you dividing up the package deal? It's only the carnality of your mind to only say, I only want the salvation part, or that's not technically, but that's how we see it is. We just want that ability to have our sins forgiven. But we don't believe in anything like miracles. Like we'll leave the ballpark if that starts happening. If something breaks out like miracles, we're out of there. Jesus confronted that comparison that people were making right to their face. He did not let them get away with that. You know, when they're discussing the difference between the gift of forgiveness or the gift of healing, it's in order to eliminate one. That's why I say you've got to be very careful in what you do on comparisons. Most of the time, it's not so you can say it is good. (laughs) Your comparisons a lot of times is that carnality to be able to make one lesser to eliminate it, to make it less than what God is saying about it. And who it'll cost you is you. Another thing is comparisons of the gifts of the Spirit. You know, there's nine gifts of the Spirit. And in 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, you hear so many people try to rank them. People are constantly trying to say, this one's better than the others. And that always makes me afraid to do that. I'm like, if God made it, I don't want to say 
at all which one's better. And so we had a guy answer that question once. He said, I can tell you which one's better. And he really did. I think he's right. He said, it's whichever one you need at the moment. (laughs) I always thought that was a pretty good way to answer it. But when he was making this point of the gifts of the Spirit, it was like the Holy Spirit knew what was going to take place next. But in uh, verse 14 of that chapter, after he's listed them out, he makes the point that it's like a body. And it's real unique how Paul writes it. He says, well, let's just say this. The eyes don't say to the uh, ears, thank you, Mom, I'm better than you. How I really wrote it is, the toes don't say to the toenails, I'm better than you. (laughs) It tells it, I need you. Like if something's dropped on me, I need something over the top of my toe. It's like whatever you need at the moment. And so the eye doesn't say to the hand, do I need you? And it's like you see the value. You see the value of the beautiful eyes don't say to the brain, I don't need you. I mean, I know that's true in some blondes, but I mean, that's not how it's supposed to go. It's whatever God makes is good. It's best in your place. (laughs) What is God has called you to do, no one can do better than you. What he has put on you to do, your sphere of influence, how you're going to uniquely do it, no one can do it better than you. If you don't go up to the plate, if you don't step up to the plate and do what you're supposed to, it's never going to be the same in the body of Christ. It's going to be handicapped. It's going to be working with something that's amputated. People that sit in a chair and don't do what they're made to do, they're making the body of Christ an invalid. They're messing it up. So I always say this, which is better? This is only something a woman can answer. Which is better, to have a loving husband or a spiritual man? <laughs> I appreciate that neither from back there. So <laughs> you want both. <laughs> All right, women, you understand this. If your man of your dreams comes up to you and says, Do you want a ring or a honeymoon? What answer do you give? Both. <laughs> We're going to put this off a little longer. <laughs> Which is the best gift? Same answer. If God made it, it's good. No woman in her right mind is going to make a choice there. No Christian in their right mind is going to choose between the spiritual gifts. You take the one they think's the least, and it'll be fabulous in your life. It'll have power. That's why with your body, you can't make distinctions on what's better. The correct answer, again, is what God has made is good. He says, when they make the comparison of the body, does that make it any less a part of the body? Just because man deems it one way, does it make it any less? Like, I think sometimes people don't like the job they've been given. And you've got to realize, sometimes those jobs are the most important. When they quit, everything quits. You know, sometimes it's the things I do that are the most mundane (laughs) actually are producing the best results. And it's so important. This is, again, where I'm saying stay in your lane. Stay with what God has told you to do because no one can do your job. And it makes it all flow together. That's how God made you. He made you specially for that purpose. So comparisons. Comparisons can actually be envy and jealousy. 
I want you to write down Psalm 37, verse 1 and verse 7. We had a girl, and I can still remember the sound of her voice. She was a dear friend of mine out of town. Her name was Joy. And she would say with her nasal sound, Why do they have things I don't have? Look at those rich people. They're wicked. And she would tell me the most horrible stories, things I had never heard of that people did. I don't know if she was a writer for CSI or what, but she came up with horrible things they did and said, why would they get a new car and me not? Yeah, she was a character. I mean, she had a rock on her finger that I've never seen one the size of that. The marriage didn't last, but the ring did. And we led joy to the Lord, but she struggled with comparisons. In fact, I felt like it ate up her life. She constantly, she couldn't look at anything without being envious. Why do they have a nice house? You know, with what kind of bad thing he did last year. And she would constantly compare it. She could go home and all she could talk to me about was what she saw at her home. And she was not raised in poverty. It was amazing how much that the nature of comparisons can produce envy in your heart. If you're not prospering, I would check and see if it's envy. If you're not getting what you want, I would check and see if there's jealousy. They say you almost can't look at a picture of another person without immediately going to self. Why don't I have that? Why can't I have that? And Facebook's the worst when you're looking at weddings and families and all that. If you've got envy in your heart, it will hold your prosperity off. If you've got jealousy in your heart, it'll hold your relationships off. It doesn't give God the type of soil in your heart that he needs to work with to give you what you desire. Your heart has to be right in this area. And comparison shows that you're looking at it horizontally and not vertically. It's something that you have to pull down from the Lord because there's a lot of worldly comparisons. You might be looking at what the devil gave them. Do you really want something that they got by corruption? (laughs) Do you really want something that they traded their whole soul for that? I mean, that's why the Lord says to you, if you had everything that the world had to offer, all the money in all the world, is it worth losing your soul? And some people have traded that, their whole soul, their whole eternity for what they have. And if you envy it, it sets it up in a bad way. God can't give you something that's built out of wanting something that somebody got for their wickedness, for their corruption. Like that's their payment. They got their payment in full. Like what they did to get that, they sold everything they had. It's the same thing as the kingdom of God when you find a treasure and it's worth so much that you sell everything you have to get that treasure. That's how the kingdom works. But that's also how the devil's kingdom works. It's both trading everything you've got to get what you call treasure. Does that make sense? That it's where you're putting your treasure. So when you're looking at something built on what Psalm 37 and verse 1 and 7 is talking about, you're going to get yourself into a place that you're asking God for something that literally you go, God, do you not have that for me? God didn't have it for them. They got it from their master. They got it from the one that they sold their soul to. And so there's got to be a change of heart here. And when gratitude comes in and thankfulness and blessings and all the different things of setting up the law of sowing and reaping and and serving, you're giving God something to work with. The widow's might speaks into this where she gave all that she had 
And the Lord said, don't think I missed that. I mean, everyone else was throwing in the big ones. But I saw what she did. And it gives God something to work with in this area. When you start giving, the Lord can't help but outgive you. When you give with a happy, cheerful heart and just say, Lord, you're so good. And I think this is where a lot of people are saying, well, our prayers aren't getting answered, but they're not understanding that they're blocking God. They're doing what we talk about called sabotaging the good. Don't sabotage your prayer answers. Don't sabotage what God's wanting to do for you. So the nature of envy is comparisons. The nature of jealousy is comparisons. The nature of coveting is comparisons. Matthew 5, 22 is probably the same concept when it said, don't dare do it. Don't dare call someone stupid, fool, idiot, rocker, empty head. Let's put it in these terms. God doesn't like us passing judgment on what he made, passing comparisons on their brains. And he threatens us with hellfire over it. That's why no matter how mad I am in traffic or when I'm teaching in Proverbs, I'll say the biblical definition of a fool is this because I dare not pass my own judgment on it. I'll let the word speak to it, but I'm not going to let my soulish area just fly off the handle. You're basically saying you're superior when you pass judgment on someone else's mental capacity or lack thereof. If you use the word stupid a lot, have you ever heard someone, they're just stupid, they're just stupid. They do the stupidest things. We were, one time we had someone and uh, he constantly, every other word was, that man's so stupid, stupid, man, they're stupid. And you just kind of got tired of hearing it. So we took him in the back room and, and a question was asked to him and said, uh, do you think that you're stupid? Oh, yeah. I think I'm a failure. I don't even think my dad likes me. My dad's so successful and I'm just a failure. And he said, how'd you know? And they said, because you say the word stupid all the time about other people. So a lot of times these words of your mouth are reflecting what you're judging in yourself. And so you're letting it fly out of your mouth. I'll never forget that guy. His dad was very high up in a state Senate. He never felt like he measured up. But you can tell a lot about people by the way they talk. It says that what's in a heart tries to speak, and it comes out the mouth. And as much as we try to repress it, what's in there starts popping out. So intellectual comparisons and judgments are fleshly. They're a part of the nature of self. So in summary, there's one comparison we're allowed to make. There's one comparison we get to compare ourselves, and it says do compare. When you're trying to figure out what you're supposed to do, what you're supposed to look like, Matthew 5.48 says, be perfect as God is perfect. <laughs> so your comparison is God. <laughs> Can you believe it? You want to compare? Jesus says you have the nature to compare. Then I would say he raised the bar slightly, didn't he? If it's in our nature, which it is, to compare, there's one thing you need to be comparing yourself to because you're going to come in too low if you use someone else as your standard. Blow the limits off. God has assigned you a place, a value, and a purpose. The world says to compare others to yourself. The world is constantly telling you how to get ahead that way. Motivational speakers and inspirational speakers say compare yourself to yourself, compare yourself to others. But God says compare yourself to him. Because listen to this, we are made in his image. Now live like it. Amen.